You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all, and Merry Christmas. I'm glad you're here today, and let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And of course, if you are a kindergartner or first grader, now's your time to to go to Bible study. So head on to class. And again, for the rest of us, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And so Merry Christmas. It's hard to believe. It always seems to come so fast, but this is this is the Sunday before Christmas, and so I know there's a lot of excitement uh, this, for this next week, of course, as we'll get together with our families and celebrate just the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you, this is your first time with us, or if you're with us visiting, we have been walking through this Christmas season, uh, the, the opening chapters of Luke's gospel, where we get the most extended uh, description of what happened in the circumstances leading up to the birth of Christ. So today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. So let me go ahead and read this text for us. We'll pray, and then we'll get to work seeing what God has to teach us this morning. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather this Sunday before Christmas, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with wonder 
as we consider the circumstances leading up to Jesus' birth. Lord, over this past month, we've, we've walked through these opening chapters of Luke, and Lord, we've seen how your sovereign hand has been at work to bring about the arrival of the Messiah, the promised child, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this familiar text, Lord, that you would help us to be amazed afresh and anew. And Lord, that as we see what these truths in this text hold for us, Lord, that we would fall on our knees this morning, that we would bow and worship you, Jesus, who is our King, our Lord, our Messiah, and our God. So Jesus, may you be exalted this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, this passage really is a familiar one. Of course, to those of us who love the Lord, who know the word, who are followers of Jesus, this is a passage we, we come to very regularly, very consistently every, every December. You know, but this is a passage even those who don't know the Lord are pretty familiar with, right? At least they know it from Linus, right? Reading the Christmas story in that classic Charlie Brown Christmas story, right? So, so this passage is a familiar one, and it's one that we all I'll have a pretty good framework, and we know what, what happens. We know what occurs on that first Christmas. But this passage, I think, is just so, so memorable to us because it, it, it captures the joyous night of the Messiah's birth. But I think there's, of course, a big danger. This is a danger for all of us when we come to approach the Bible. And this is the danger of familiarity, right? being so familiar with what the Bible says in certain passages, that we kind of just take what's written there for granted. We don't think about it. We don't ponder it. We don't meditate upon it. It's, it's familiar. It's almost old news. And so the, 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 the sense of wonder that this passage intends to elicit in our hearts just, just doesn't happen. It's almost as if we become desensitized to the wondrous truths of the Bible, to Christ's birth here, if we're not careful. Because indeed, what happens in Luke chapter 2 is absolutely shocking and wonderful. This unexpected way that God brought his son into the world. So be on guard, including this morning, right? That, that our familiarity with the biblical text here can temper our wonder. And wonder is really what the gospel writer, this is what Luke is trying to cause to happen in us. Right? As we've walked through these opening chapters of Luke, that's been kind of the recurring thing, being, being amazed, being in wonder at what God is doing. From the birth of John the Baptist to the birth of Jesus, Luke is, is wanting us to feel this sense of awe as we read this text. This is what he's trying to produce in our hearts as Luke recounts the history of these events. And again, our familiarity can dampen that wonder if we're not careful. So I want you to, to come to this text with fresh eyes this morning. I want you to pretend this is as if the, you've never heard Luke chapter 2 in the history of your life. And this is the, your first time discovering and entering in to what happens in the circumstances of Jesus' birth. And I pray that it will produce wonder in your heart. But what, what exactly is wonder? What is that? What does that word mean? I think the definition of the term really does get, get at it pretty nicely. Wonder is a, a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, 
unfamiliar or inexplicable. That's the dictionary definition, but I think it really, really gets into what what wonder is and how we ought to respond to to Jesus' birth, right? It's a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration, caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. So, so, and again, as we read Luke chapter 2, there, there ought to be this element of surprise at the beauty of God's unexpected plan, inexplicable plan, and, and sending the Messiah, Jesus, into this world through such humble, humble means. Indeed, wonder can't happen in your heart this morning if you're not surprised. Right? And this is why familiarity can be so dangerous. If you're familiar with it, you feel to be surprised by, by what Luke is telling us here. So, so again, imagine this is your first time reading this text, and I pray that this biblical text will surprise you at God's wonderful, beautiful, miraculous plan in sending his son into the world, and that would create a sense of wonder in your heart, and that wonder would produce worship as you fall at the feet of Jesus this morning and worship him. So let's come to to Luke 2 with fresh eyes, because the twists and turns that lead to Jesus' birth should take us aback. It subverts our expectations. It it displays here the heart of a God who surprises us with the gift of his beloved son. So here's the the sermon summary. May the surprising events of Jesus' birth produce wonder in our hearts that lead us to worship. May the surprising events of Jesus's birth produce wonder in our hearts that leads us to worship. So as we prepare to recount the events here in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter two, we're going to kind of look at it in four parts. We're going to look at the location, the birth, the announcement, and the worship, right? The location, the birth, the announcement, and the worship. So let's talk first about the location, God's sovereign preparation for his Messiah. So Luke is a first-rate historian. In fact, Luke, if you read Luke's gospel carefully, you can see that there are are times where Luke is letting you know that he's done his research. He's gone and interviewed the eyewitness testimonies, but he's also gotten his facts straight. He is presenting Jesus in the gospel as historically verified. And so this is similar to what Luke does here in in chapter 2. As he sets up the the birth of Christ, he carefully chronicles the time and setting of Jesus' birth. So this is during the time of Caesar Augustus. And this was during the time which Caesar Augustus decreed a census throughout the empire. So everyone was required to return their their own town, the town of birth, to register. So since Joseph was from the lineage of David, he had to leave Nazareth to go to Bethlehem, which was the city of David, his hometown. So, So though inconvenient, Joseph had to take a very pregnant Mary and make that long trek to Bethlehem. I'm sure that journey was long and difficult. The trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about 80 miles, and the journey could have taken from four days to a week, depending on how fast of a pace they were traveling. 
Now, I imagine they were going a little bit slower with a pregnant Mary, right? And of course, there were no automobiles, there were no airplanes, there were no mass transit to get there quickly. So the journey involved walking or riding on some sort of animal. Neither are very comfortable options for a pregnant woman whose water could burst at any moment. After all, there is no one more uncomfortable than a pregnant woman at full term, right? And so Mary is making this trek. It's hard to walk. It's hard to get rest. Your body constantly aches, but yet Joseph and Mary make this trek to Bethlehem together. And it's fascinating, right, that as we read Luke's gospel account, as he's setting up the the setting and the location of the birth of his son, Luke doesn't say it explicitly, but it's definitely implied that we see the sovereign hand of the Lord working to fulfill his prophetic word given centuries ago. The Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and God would direct the voice of Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, to bring the couple to Bethlehem for his son, the Messiah, to be born. You see, the command of a Roman census required this couple to to go to Bethlehem, and through the emperor, God is acting. He is fulfilling what he promised. Caesar gives the decree, but God is the one behind the scenes, setting the stage to fulfill what was prophesied by Micah. This passage Pastor Tim read at the start of the service, but but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And so as, as, as Micah prophesied that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, so it is so, as God orchestrates providentially the family to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem for his son to be born. We see that God's divine hand is at work. And so we see they end up at the city of David. You see, Luke is is intentional. He's helping us see that God is, is sovereign. He's providentially working. He's orchestrating history itself. He's orchestrating the the, the commands and edicts of the emperor in order to lead to his son, the promised one of God, the son of David, being born in the city of David. God does this to accomplish his divine purpose. He is, God is the ruler. He is the ruler. He is the sovereign one who bends history according to his appointed ends. You see, in the birth of Jesus, we see God as the, the silent director acting to achieve everything in accordance to what he prophesied about his Messiah. From the virgin birth to the lineage of David to the town of Bethlehem, Luke is helping us see that God is fulfilling his word just as he said he would do. God is faithful to the promises that he makes, and he is sovereign and powerful enough to bring them about. And so all the the budding anticipation in the Old Testament for the Messiah, all the the longings and yearnings the people of Israel had for their king, God was accomplishing it all to the T, preparing the way for the arrival of his king. You see, there are no, no accidents or random chances here in Luke's gospel when it comes to the birth of Jesus. No, God is sovereignly working. 
even through a pagan Roman godless emperor. God was working to accomplish his redemptive plan and to fulfill his promised word. And so we see the location as this family, Mary, Joseph, and the baby, end up in Bethlehem, where the Messiah, where the prophet prophesied the king would come. So we see the location, but we also see the birth, this humble condescension of the Son of God, the Messiah. So when they arrived into Bethlehem, of course, the city was bustling with people. This little town had all these people coming back into it. Everyone was going back to their hometown, and the inns were packed. They were filled with people. And so there was no place for this young couple. And the only place for them was the place where the the animals were kept, most likely a a cave of some sort. And it's in this location that the, the king of the universe was born in. Let that sink in for a moment, right? The the humble, filthy, stinky, stable, that's where Jesus was born. A place with grimy sheep and spitting camels. What a place to give birth. What a place to welcome any child, let alone the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is not an ideal place to give birth. Right? Any modern doctor observing this scene would, would probably have a heart attack. Right? They would cringe at how unsanitary it would be to give birth in a stable. Right? Animals aren't exactly the, the cleanest of creatures. It would have been hair and feces and animal feed everywhere. I mean, the, the, the way we, we often act out the nativity or even display it in our decorations, it, it makes it seem sweet and cute and endearing, but it really was not as quaint as we make it out to be. We even sing Silent Night, don't we? A wonderful hymn describing the the peace and tranquility of the night that Jesus was born. And then away in the manger, we sing the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes with the little Lord Jesus, no no crying he makes. Clearly that person had never met a baby before, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that night was anything but silent, was anything but, but tranquil. From the the animals making noises to a newborn shrieking cry to the stress of of Joseph having to deliver this baby, mind you, without a midwife trying to to give this baby its first meal from the bosom of its mother who had never nursed before. That night was anything but silent and tranquil. But yet this is how God became enfleshed. This is how he has chosen to come and dwell among us. This is the shock, right? This is the surprise. God chose to be born in the worst possible scenario, in the worst possible place, an unclean, filthy, noisy barn. And what condescension, what degradation. How amazing is it that God would would stoop to such a low level? And how wondrous is it that, that, that Jesus left the, the comfort and the splendor and the radiance of heaven to be born in a filthy barn, to be placed in an animal trough? Why? Why would God do it this way? Why would the Messiah come in this manner? I mean, isn't just the humiliation of becoming a man as, as God in that 
humiliating enough, let alone why would you steep down to, to the lowest of all possible levels? A place not where humans are to be born, but where animals were to be born. And why would the, the Lamb of God take his first breath in such a despicable location filled with animals? But yet God demonstrates for us that in these circumstances of the Savior's birth, God is showing us what the purpose of the Savior was to be. You see, although Jesus was being in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Philippians chapter 2 tells us. You see, Jesus was born as, Isaiah 53 would tell us, as the suffering servant, the, the lowest of the low. Why? Because, because Jesus' purpose was to be an atoning sacrifice for sin. And so born among animals, Christ would be strung up like an animal to be a sacrifice for our sins. You see, even in the manger, we see that God is helping us understand that his destination is the cross. Far greater humiliation awaited Jesus than being born in a barn. You see, the circumstances of Christ's birth demonstrate that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to lay down his life. You see, it's interesting the way that Luke describes the, the swaddling of this baby Jesus, right? If you read later on in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 25, verse 53, he describes Jesus' body in that text after it's been crucified. And he describes it as being wrapped in cloth and placed in the tomb. You see, Luke is making a, a verbal connection between the birth of Christ and the end of his life. That this little baby born to serve humanity would be wrapped in cloth at his birth and at his death. And Luke is foreshadowing here, even in Luke 2, the coming purpose of this baby. Jesus was one sent for a purpose. And that purpose was to lay down his life for us. Even as the newborn baby is laid in that manger, wrapped in, in cloth, one day he will be wrapped in the burial cloths as he lays down his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So consider the birth the humiliating condescension of, of God the Son making himself low, being born in such humble means, and how it points to his ultimate purpose and his sufferings. But thirdly, also, also consider the announcement. This unlikely audience that God chose to announce the birth of his Son into the world. You know, if, if God divinely acts to bring his son into the world, as he has done, you would think that the, the first people that you and I would tell, if we were God, that's a scary thought, but imagine it for a second, we would, we would go in and tell all the kings and the lords of the earth, right? That the king is here, God incarnate is here. But yet the announcement that of Jesus' birth by the angels of the great I am, who is now in flesh, who has entered into this world, that announcement doesn't go to the, the kings and the rulers and the princes and the politicians and the people of power and influence and wealth, but, but instead, God announces the birth of his Messiah to peasant 
shepherds watching their flock by fields at night. You see, the great Caesar Augustus, who authorized the census, he wasn't notified of the birth of God. Neither was Quirinius, the governor of Syria. No, God announced the birth of his son to measly, insignificant, by worldly standards, these shepherds. Because shepherds were, were not respected people. In fact, to be a shepherd was to have a job that really nobody wanted. You were typically uneducated. You were unqualified to do much else. Didn't have any skills. So your job was to, to take the sheep out to graze and to sit there and watch them and to protect them. But yet the, the announcement of Jesus' birth goes to the shepherds, to these people. It goes to the, the least of these, to those shepherds on night watch. Right? To be a shepherd is, I'm sure, not a, a great profession. But to have to do it in the middle of the night, that's got to be pretty, pretty tiresome, right? No street lights, no lights to see, right? You're sitting there watching flocks in the middle of the night, a job nobody wanted. But again, Luke is emphasizing here as he has in this opening of this gospel. He's, he's showing us again and again that God cares and he's concerned about the low, the nobodies, the marginalized of society. This is who Jesus is announced to, these shepherds. And then it was these lonely, outcasted shepherds that, that the birth announcement of Jesus comes in all of its wonder. And imagine Imagine what a scene it must have been for the glory of the Lord and the arrival of these heavenly hosts, these angels announcing the birth of Jesus. I'm sure their eyelids were heavy. And suddenly they were wide awake, bright, blinded by the light. I'm sure they were caught off surprised and off guard and they fell in fear at this supernatural scene. And look at what the the angel instructs them, verse 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So the angels come and give this announcement to the shepherds and, and tells the angels, Tell the shepherds, don't be afraid. Instead of fear, these shepherds are to rejoice, to have joy, to be glad. Why? Because the Christ, the Messiah, has come. You know, I think, I think fear is such a natural response to what the shepherds were feeling at the time, right? To see the, the sky lit up, to see the, the angel show. Fear would be a natural response. But the angel says, no, shepherd, you're to move from fear to joy. And why is that? Well, because of the good news. The good news that the angel has come to bring them. The angel has not come to bring God's judgment. But the angel has come to bring good news of the, of the gospel, that, that Christ has come and that the Messiah has arrived and he is being announced to these shepherds. The good news is about to be announced for the very first time. The good news of Christ coming, his arrival in this world, it's a good news for all the people, and it comes to these shepherds. They get first priority. They hear first about the birth of Jesus. 
The Savior of the world has arrived. He has come. He is born in the city of David. And these shepherds, who were already startled at this point, not just by the showing up of the angel, but this incredible news that the angel is giving them of the birth of Messiah, then all of a sudden, the sky begins to fill up. And multitudes of angels, choirs of angels begin to show up and sing and give praise to God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among with those with whom he is pleased. You see, these angels worshiping in the dark field of the shepherds signify the, the wonders, the wonder of the peace that happens in the arrival of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the king. He's the king of heaven and the king of earth. And, and while there has been separation between God and man, enmity between the two because of sin, by the sending of Jesus, God is making clear that he has come to bring peace. He is going to reconcile. He's going to dissolve the dividing wall of hostility between God and man. Jesus comes to bring peace between heaven and earth by dealing with sin upon the cross. And so the angels, worshiping along with these rugged shepherds here, I think it gives us a wonderful foretaste of what's to come, of what that peace will be like as the heavens burst through the clouds and as the new heavens and the new earth will be united in the coming Jerusalem where the whole universe, angel and human alike, will worship together under the rule of King Jesus. You see, how, how glorious and magnificent is the plan of God? No wonder the angels couldn't help but, but sing praises to the Lord on this night. As they announced to the shepherds, it's a wonderful, surprising, unexpected plan because the great redemption of humanity would come through this little baby as God has enfleshed himself, as he became incarnate and dwelt among us. And so scripture tells us that the angels long to just look into these sorts of things in which you and I get to be a part of. Scripture, scripture tells us this, that they long to see and they wish to participate in this glorious redemptive plan that God prepared before the foundations of the earth. But yet there is no redemption for angels. God extends his grace only to his image bearers, to human beings like you and me. Glory to God in the highest, right? That should be our shouts, our cry every day as believers in the Lord, especially at this Christmas season, because this is good news. This is the good news of the gospel, that God would come and make peace with us, that he would take the initiative, that he would come to us in the midst of our need, and that he would lavish us with with grace and mercy and, and love. So as we think about, about these angels and, and who it's announced to, the, you know, many of us are unlikely recipients of this good news. Right? We're, we're not the, the cream of the crop of society, right? We're here in Wilson, North Carolina. Who knows what your background is? doesn't matter. The good news of Jesus Christ needs to be heralded to all people, even to the lowest of the low. And God has brought this good news to us. And as we hear it, as we hear the good news of Christ, including this day, our response should be joining in with the heavenly hosts, raising our voice along with them, singing and praising God about these things, because our hearts should continue to marvel 
as we wonder at this surprising and unexpected plan of God in sending his son to be one of us, become one of us, fully God, fully man, to make peace. This is a wonderful, surprising plan. And God has brought it about through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. And that leads fourthly to our our worship. Our worship. Testifying and treasuring. So when the angels returned to heaven, the, the shepherds were, of course, rather stunned by all these things that have happened. And so they set their attention to Bethlehem. They say, let's go. Let's go investigate. Let's see what the angels said were true. And so they go and they find Mary. They find Joseph. And they find the baby lying in the manger. What the angel had spoken of, it was all, it was all true. And here we see two aspects of how we ought to respond to the wonder, to this surprising and unexpected gift of God in Jesus. Because as we come to worship Christ, we respond by treasuring Christ and testifying about Christ. Treasuring Christ and testifying about Christ. That's what we see happen here on this first Christmas. And I think the shepherds set the example of how we should respond to the gospel. They look, they testify. Look at what the text says. Verse 17, And when they saw it, they made known the the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. You see, they made made it known. They went and they shared the good news with, with other people about Christ's birth, about what has happened to them this very evening. They did not keep the message of the birth of the king to themselves, but they went about and they testified. They bore witness about the things that they have seen and heard. And after confirming what they heard was true and getting to meet the Messiah, they went and told everybody they could about what had happened. The shepherds, in a lot of ways, became some of the very first evangelists, letting other people know that the king has come. And And as they go sharing and talking to people about this, all are are responding in awe and and wonder. See, in the same way, we also ought to share the gospel with others. Just as the shepherds proclaim the good news of the gospel, we too must go to the streets, must tell our friends, tell our family, tell our community that the peace of God has come in the Christ child. The peace of God has arrived in the birth of Jesus Christ. And we have to point them to Christ with with glory overflowing from our hearts and gladness and joy as wonders dripping from our lips as we're testifying and declaring this good news. See, Christmas gives us a lot of opportunities, church, to share the good news of Christmas with others, to be evangelists, to start spiritual conversations with other people. So think about that. Even even this week leading up to Christmas, who can you share what you have seen and heard about Christ? Who's in your proximity this upcoming week? And you see, our response to the good news of Christ's coming ought to lead us to sharing that good news with others. So we testify in evangelism to the good news of Jesus, but we also ought to respond like Mary does here as we pause and ponder, treasuring up this good news in our hearts. 
Look at how Mary responded in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her hearts. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So we see this in Mary. We, we've watched her story as we've recounted Luke's gospel this December, and we've seen how this young woman has trusted the Lord. It's been a difficult journey for her, I'm sure, over these last nine months, ever since the angel Gabriel showed up and gave her this unexpected announcement that she would be having a child, the Messiah. But we've seen Mary trust the Lord and praise the Lord. And now as she nurses her her newborn son, as she hears the the testimony of the shepherd, her, her, her pause, she pauses and she remembers the wonderful events that have all led up to the birth of the baby that is now in her arms. The Messiah has come. And now Mary tenderly holds this Savior, her Savior, in her arms. And so she treasures, she worships, she gives thanks to God. You see, as we approach Christmas in just a few days, and as we've celebrated this Advent season, let me invite you to respond in that same way to that wondrous good news. May you testify to others. May you share the good news of the gospel. May you share with others how God has sovereignly worked throughout history to fulfill his word. May you share with others how God condescended and humiliated himself in the incarnation as he put on flesh and dwelt among us and how God has become one of us in the person of Christ. And may you share with others how how God brings the good news. He announces this good news to to nobodies, to the low and to the despised, that the God's grace and the message of peace and salvation is for all the people of the earth. May we share the, the purpose of Jesus and God's redemptive plan to save sinners, that the babe Jesus Christ would one day go to the cross suffering for our sake. So brothers and sisters, may we testify to our city and to our world the wonders of Christ's birth. However, as you enjoy this quieter week, slower week with your family, and particularly as you gather around on Christmas Day, on that Christmas morning, and as you enjoy the, the bounty of gifts and food that await on that day, let me encourage you to pause. Pause, find a few moments of quiet by yourself or with your family for just a little while and meditate on the birth of Christ. Be like Mary, ponder these truths in your heart and treasure the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus deserves our worship and praise. This wonder, this surprising, unexpected, beautiful thing that God has done it should cause us to pause, to come and worship the newborn king.